There's been a long debate in the insurance industry about the deeper meaning of the words agent, advisor, or broker. How does taking a fiduciary position answer those questions? And is that better for everyone? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change you want to see. This episode is brought to you by Shift Shaper Strategies. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. Clarify your message so you win more clients, crush your sales goals, and build your practice. Learn more at shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, here's your host, StoryBrand Certified Guide and Chief Transformation Strategist at Shift Shaper Strategies, David Saltzman. There's been a long debate in the industry about agents and brokers and advisors and whose interests are being served. And it's never really been satisfactorily solved or resolved in our industry. The life insurance industry has some folks who are fee-only. Obviously, investments and people who are financial planners have a variety of different fee structures, all of which are done to make it clear that the person is operating in the best interest of the client and has no other conflicts. And so we thought it'd be a great topic to explore for all of us. And we invited my old friend Carl Schusler on the program. Carl is managing principal at Mitigate Partners. And with that, welcome, Carl. Hey, David. It's an honor to be on your podcast. I've, I've watched it and listened to it for years. So I, I appreciate the opportunity to be here and share. Well, thank you. We're glad you're with us. So you know, I kind of top level outline the issue, but from where you stand and from your knowledge, give us the scope of the problem. What's really at issue here? From a fiduciary standpoint? Right. From a standpoint of, you know, folks who are, I mean, you and I have been in the business long enough to remember that agent is actually not a term of art. It's actually a legal term. And it means that you're representing a carrier and you're bound by contract to put their interests first. What does that problem look like and, and how does it manifest itself if if you're an employer and, and what are the pitfalls and the potential downfalls on that? Yeah, that's a great question, David. I think that first off, from a term standpoint, the things that always crack me up, and everybody knows if you ever call me a broker, I'll jump through the through the phone or the, the screen and, and whip your tail. We're advisors. We lead. It's our job to lead and provide our clients with the best solutions possible that we can find. And I'll get more to that later. But as far as a fiduciary obligation, I think that it really exists whenever there's a relationship with the client. It involves a special trust, confidence, and reliance on the fiduciary to exercise his discretion to or expertise in acting for the client, which is what we do. And the fiduciary must knowingly accept that trust and confidence to exercise his expertise and his discretion to act on the client's behalf. In most cases, no profit is to be made from the relationships unless we feel an explicit consent is granted when the relationship begins. And I think while there is an opportunity of the interpretation of whether or not a consultant is a fiduciary of a health plan, 
I think there's no question that a properly aligned consultant is a steward of the employer's plan. And I think our team works to really to maintain, you know, that fiduciary steward role, David, and compensation arrangement. But we equally true believe that our involvement with the plan and to the point the vendors are selected. So that's what that means. And I think really put simply, we work with our clients to assure that all of the recommendations are understood and necessary to the overall success of the plan. And and from our standpoint, sorry for the long-winded answer, but from our standpoint, for Mitigate Partners, it's really a two-part question. And I think first, it's important to understand that, you know, our team will be responsible for the day-to-day plan administration and performance of the health plan. And I think the way we've liked to be perceived, David, or viewed by the client is we're a more of a general contractor with the responsibility of, of assuring that all the subcontractors are performing up to the expectations agreed to. And then these subs will be any number of best-in-class partners. I don't ever call anyone a, a vendor. They're a partner. When you call someone a vendor, you treat them like a vendor. And all you folks out there listening, take that to heart because I can't tell you how many people I talk to that say, vendors, all right, uh, off the commercial break. But you have to select those partners to perform specific duties within your plan. And I think, David, in every case, they're selected based on the value they're able to bring to the or to our client and their health plan. And, and I think, from my opinion, with Mitigate Partners, this is what's really important. Since we're creating the plan and we're building this employer-built health care versus the insurer-built plans that exist out there, then what we're trying to do, David, is it's our job to act as a fiduciary and steward of, of our client's money, treating it like it's ours. And we take it pretty dead gum serious. And that's really what this is about. And that's how we really treat it. So it's, you know, if you live in ERISA land, as a lot of us have for a lot of years, you're used to this fiduciary responsibility. But this becomes for even for somebody who's not doing ERISA plans. Is there an opportunity to act as a fiduciary? And does it go beyond just transparency? Make sure you said it for a non-ERISA plan. Yeah, even if somebody's not operating in in ERISA plans, you know, it's a requirement. You have to act as a fiduciary, but if you're managing the plan. But but does this apply or should it apply to fully insured plans as well? I think it should apply to all. And I think you're going to see some court cases and some other things and some things that we're actually involved with where you're going to see this come about, David. It's coming, and it's a tidal wave. You know, we look at the industry, or we compare, like, we we know that the DOL has strict guidelines, as you referenced earlier, about a retirement plan advisor and so forth. But there's a great cartoon out there where this DOL person, you know, with their with their pocket calculator and everything is tripping over bags of money in health care while they pick up pennies for the retirement plan opportunities that exist. And so I think to, you make a great point, but I, I think the funny thing is, I think most people think that fiduciary, David, if you go look in the regs, most people think it re- applies to just retirement plans. A lot of people aren't taking it to heart on the group health plan, and we've got a link that you know you can put out on your show where you can go and get those regs. But I will tell you, we don't see anyone operating like that at all in the marketplace, and especially brokers, not advisors, and not some of us at Mitigate Partners, and not some of our Rosetta comrades too, but go ahead. And now, a word from our sponsor. It's a fact. Salespeople and organizations lose opportunities because they don't clearly communicate their value. 
In today's market, your story is your message. It should be crystal clear, perfectly arranged, and precisely targeted to attract the clients you want. As a certified story brand guide, we use the exclusive SB7 process to create that story and the websites and collateral that deliver it. If your message isn't cutting through the noise, we can help. Visit us at shiftshaperstrategies.com to learn how we can help you find, clarify, and deliver a message that wins clients, crushes sales goals, and builds your practice. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. So learn more and schedule that call today at shiftshaperstrategies.com. That's shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now back to our discussion. Should it be then more a matter of common ethics and how we run our practices and how we interact with clients as opposed to, I know there's a legal construct, but does this really, when it gets right down to the root of it, is this more about how we behave in the marketplace as purveyors of solutions? Yes, I would agree with that. I think that's well said. I think that the solutions, you have to want it bad. Healthcare's a mess. And you got to want it bad. And as an advisor, they relentlessly pursue the best options for their clients. As a broker, I think many people act and, you know, bringing two parties together and get a commission or they get their PEPM fee or whatever it is. I think that it's behoove us to make sure we analyze and look at all the options that are out in the marketplace. So, yes, I think 100% it does. I mean, the solutions that are put out there need to be scrutinized. And a lot of these, I mean, there's a company, I'm not going to name names, but they're in a lot of trouble right now because it looked like they were running a MIWA across the country, and you probably know who it is. So they're, including myself at one time, had a case with them years ago, and that's a real problem. So, yeah, I think we have to do that on our role. We have to vet. And here's one thing I want to say, David. I, I, I do think this is important. I think our the fiduciary role an advisor carries has been substantially heightened since the Affordable Care Act. And what I mean by that is when it came into existence in 2010, there's been an explosion of innovation. And you and I talked about this prior for an industry that was stagnant for 50 years. And so now... I think our role acting as a fiduciary steward has never been more important. We average 10 calls a month from high, I call, we call them high-performance healthcare solutions that want to be integrated into our fair cost health plan. And all of our Mitigate partners across, you know, soon to be 35 offices are getting these calls too. And we all share and we now we're all trying to vet together. A lot of the vetting I had to do on my own for the last seven years. And now I've got a group of folks to help. Rosetta's also doing some vetting, et cetera. But I think the role has become even more important now than it ever was because we have put solutions in that didn't work great. We have to replace them. And everything for in healthcare right now, Dave's for sale. Everything. So you better have a bench for all your solutions. And we have, you know, 16 plus solutions seamlessly integrated in our fair cost plan. So it requires a lot of scrutiny. And I think that we made a commitment to our clients to listen to everybody that calls us. So the calls go like this. Hey, this is David Saltzman at Saltzman, you know, high blood pressure company. Carl, you know, we heard about you and what you were doing with your plan and we wanted to talk to you. And I said, well, David, 
all right, I guess I got to take your call because I committed to my client that I would pursue every opportunity possible to help their health plan. And it's my fiduciary responsibility to listen to what you have to say. And we will vet and we'll look and so forth. So I think that's the process we go through. And my buddy, my co-founder, Mitigate Partners, Barry Murphy, always says that the process that Carl puts these folks through is like having 15 colonoscopies performed. And he says, if anybody gets through it, it's a miracle. So, and a lot of them self-eliminate. I mean, we've had TPAs that wouldn't answer our 30-page questionnaire, as crazy as it sounds. We're on the hook when we make that recommendation to our client. Putting them with a BUCA, Blue United Signet and Humana, and that's the easy button. But my gosh, there's all kinds of fiduciary responsibility there, and there's all kinds of fiduciary responsibility they're not living up to. They don't review, and David, you got to stop me because I can go on tangents. It's amazing to me. And I won't name names, but we work with a school district that was with Abuka. It's been publicized a good bit out there. We tried to put in our compliant medical bill review program into that self-funded ASO model with that Abuka. And we went through all kinds of, it was unbelievable how difficult it was to do. And the comment was, we already have that program in here. I said, well, can you show how much you saved? It was like a couple hundred thousand, David. My wife had a laparoscopic appendectomy August 6, 2016. Many folks listening have seen the story up on the screen. You actually saw it too, David, down in Tampa mm-hmm. when, you were at, when we were at Fehu together. $29,984 laparoscopic appendectomy. I'm not even going to talk about the cost of that. But what I'm going to tell you, there was $10,696 of billionaires on that bill. One bill. They saved 9,100 belly button school district. $200,000 in compliant medical bill review, and my wife's had almost 11 on one? You do the math, David, but the bottom line is they're not doing it because they're supposed to be getting the itemized bills behind the UBO4 summary bill, and they don't get them. They don't. So how can you valid? Go ahead. Is that what you mean when you talk about the difference between active and passive risk management? Absolutely. Active management is an employer taking control of their health plan spending with the right solutions built in and cost containment and risk mitigation to control their costs. And it's also about improving member outcomes. And lastly, financial outcomes for both the members and the employer. So yes, sir, passive management is that school district was in a passively managed situation when we met them. And the first year we worked with them, Alongside Buka, we saved them $6 million. It was the first time in over 10 years they didn't have to borrow from the trust fund, which is the taxpayer's money. So now we're on track to hopefully save upwards of $20 million now that we took over, put in fair cost principles in October, and are moving forward. So they are actively managing. I can get into that. If you want to talk about that, I can go all day long on that. Everybody tell you how passionate I am about that. Active management is so different, David. So you want me to give one example? One example would be great. Okay. So back in March of 20, we had a heart transplant that happened. And about once a week, well, two to three times a week, we get these emails from the BUCA. And it would say, this is your large claimant notification for today, David, with an exclamation mark. Now, I don't know about you, David, but I'm not getting real excited to look at that. <laughs> Just not. We would get these and it was a lot. It was a lot. And we got it and it was a $3.2 million heart transplant. But after that wonderful Buka discount, it was only $2.2 million. The problem was the stop loss is $900,000. 
So that cost the school and the taxpayers $900,000. Now, David, that's the first we heard of the heart transplant. Never heard a word about it. So in our model, the way that would go down is that call would come into medical management, right, on the pre-cert, obviously. It's looked at, and immediately sleeves are rolled up, all hands are on deck, medical management company, the cost and quality company, our custom network company, our TPA, and the advisor team, and the client with the HIPAA clearance, all get in there and deal with it. If that claim had come in through our fair cost health plan, it would have been paid at $184,000 and everything would have been taken care of. To find out in March for something that happened, or, or, or uh, once the claim is paid, it's too late. The key to this game is to deal with it before it becomes a claim. And that, to me, David, is totally unacceptable. And if that fiduciary responsibility falls on the client, how would they know? Well, they selected the Buka, right? I guess. But the other thing is, if we're mispaying bills, which all employers across America, if they're in the passively managed model and even in an independent TPA model in many cases, bills are being paid off a summary bill. You and I go to dinner to, to David. You and I get the itemized bill, and you're saying, God, Carl, I, I didn't have that many beers. And did you order the lobster? I said, no, I had a sandwich. You go, you give that to the waiter or waitress. He or she takes it back, fixes the bill, and it comes back. Then you put your credit card on it, and then you get a summary bill at the end that you sign and put in your wallet with the itemized bill. That's not how this game works. All facility bills are paid on what's called a UBO4, and those are sent to the carrier or to the independent TPA, and they're paid without ever being able to verify if these charges are accurate or not because you don't have the itemized bills supporting it. So that's just one. I didn't mean to go on a tangent. I've done a lot of work in that area. I bet at over 30 medical bill review companies. So it's an area that I can tell you right now is rampant across our country. We've got just a couple of minutes left, and I'm, I'm curious about the, how the initial employer conversation goes. When you've decided that you're going to operate your firm in a fiduciary model, and you're bringing all of these best-in-class pieces to the table, these subcontractors, as you called them. How does that initial conversation with an employer go? Do you, are you actually involved in dunking the existing broker in the grease? Now, you know, I don't, I don't think anything's gained to trash or our competition. I think what we do is talk about what we do, and it becomes pretty evident the difference without us having to say anything. The things, David, the hardest challenge we have at mitigate partners and our is in any of us is getting we go through what we call the six opportunities of health care the cartel lack of pricing transparency medical billing errors the traditional ppo discount game the pharmaceutical shell game and david you saw because i gave that talk in tampa mm -hmm. and the lack of information and data when we go through that david the disbelief in, in your eyes, it's like you're mad, you're furious, but then a part of you, I think, goes, eh, I don't know if I really believe that. And so I said, get us five bills, let us go do our homework, and let us come back with you and show you. So there is a believability issue, but I think we've been blessed. Patient Rights Advocate, a wonderful organization, if you don't know, I could talk about it, has done some unbelievable videos for our clients that they heard about what we were doing, and they wanted to capture our work and share it with former HHS Secretary Alex Azar. 
president at the time and it's received national attention so we have some social proof david so now it's not as hard but there still is that issue somebody said gosh carl you almost just be out there you should be able to retire by now that's not the case people still like the easy button sure they like what that like what they know and they're also unfortunately self-preservationist at heart and that's a real problem so if we get to the money person in the company cfo ceo suite in the C-suite, we generally can have a good conversation and move it along, but it's still not 100%, never will be. Yeah, I mean, in my organization, we tell people that if the common perception is that being self-funded is risky, but it's actually way riskier being fully insured. David, I think this, Barry Murphy, our co-founder, again, is real famous for saying this, and we do this in presentations, David, so we'll put a slide up. Should David Saltzman Incorporated self-fund? No, unless you're going to actively manage your claims. Right. And that's that's really the key. And that's a great place to end our conversation for today. Carl Schusler, Managing Principal at Mitigate Partners and an old friend of mine. Carl, thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you, Dave. It's an honor and appreciate the opportunity to be here today. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Shift Shaper Strategies and may not be reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without our express written permission. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.